of marketers are just saying, well, look at our AI product. And sometimes there is no AI in their product at all. Hi, and welcome to our first Tech News This Week show. I'm your host, Tech Target Editorial News Director, Antone Gonsalves. It's difficult these days to find a tech company or startup that doesn't have an AI story. But how much of it is real? Evidently, not enough. This week, the Federal Trade Commission warned the tech industry that the agency is keeping a close eye on its AI claims. To explain why the FTC raised the red flag is Tech Target Editorial's AI reporter, Esther Ajao. So what prompted the FTC warning? Well, AI is the all the buzz right now, especially when it comes to ChatGPT. Everyone is talking about AI. Everyone is talking about gener generative AI. And so the FTC is noticing this, that a lot of marketers are just saying, well, look at our AI product, and sometimes there is no AI in their product at all. So they're like, hold up, you got to you gotta dial it back a little bit. Yeah, you know, that's odd. I mean, just in terms of a, of a business model, if you're advertising something that doesn't exist, I mean, you, you would think that at some point um, you'd get caught up in, in, in that. Uh, so is this, so what's prompting uh, this, um, this tactic? I mean, is this a case of rogue marketers? Is it uh, intentional misleading by vendors or an indication of the immaturity of AI? Well, it's a little bit of both, right? It comes like AI washing, which is what an analyst said. It's called AI washing, which is saying that your product is able to do something AI powered when it's actually not able to do so. So AI washing has been around for such a long time. The FTC's warning comes because of the fact that there's just so much hype right now. And so because of the hype, marketers are jumping on top of this. And so the FTC want to say, well, just make sure that what you're marketing or advertising as actually having AI is doing the, it, the, what it's promising to do. Otherwise, you are lying or you're misleading consumers. So it's always been around. Um, it's like it's always been the practice of, I guess, vendors rehyping whole product and put it an advertising logo on it and be like, this has AI powered. But now because of the hype, the FTC is like, we're going to start um, coming down on it. And also because of all the news that has been happening around the AI Bill of Rights, um, Bill of Rights and the way that the um, the U.S. is kind of reorgan reorganizing the steps it plans to take on AI going Hmm. What is the uh, what can the FTC do? Fines or, or yeah, basically, yeah, basically that that is what they're gonna do is they're gonna fine you if you're lying. I mean, they're already coming. They've already said that they're going to be coming pretty hard on people whose algorithms are biased, and so they're like, we're gonna step up our policing on this. I mean, they're not necessarily like uh, they can only really fine, but there's not like a real government agency that's coming against this people who are doing this other than the FTC. So it's just a warning to say, we know that AI is all the hype right now, but dial back your advertising and make sure that your products are doing exactly what it's supposed to do or what you're promising that it's going to do. And also, I mean, if the products are not doing what it's said to do, then what you have is a lot of people are going to be like, well, AI is a lie, right? And one of the things that I found interesting in that one is like the FTC is like, we're not in a um, science fiction world. We're still in a world 
of reality. We're still in a world of tangibility. So make sure that we're all on even playing field. We're all on even ground. And the uh, last question is, how does all this misinformation affect tech buyers in the AI industry? I think that's, uh, well, that's critical for our readers. How does it affect tech buyers? Well, it makes them not want to buy into this AI hack. Right. For it, I mean, it keeps the vendors or the enterprises being like, well, is this really AI? It just puts a bad reputation on the AI front. And we're back where we we began. AI is taking I feel like AI is taking such a leap in the past year or so uh, where people are starting to actually believe in it. But when you have people lying or misleading, that will bring us back a little bit more. Next up is security. It's a top priority at all enterprises, but keeping up with the changing tactics of cyber criminals is hard. Tech Target editorial senior news writer Alex Kalafi recently reported on how criminals are using more than ransomware to extort money from companies. So uh, what are cyber criminals' latest uh, extortion tactics? It's interesting because in the last few years, ransomware has evolved and changed quite a bit since it became sort of the cyber attack and extortion method of choice that's sort of at the top of all of our minds at the moment. Um, so the, for, for the past few years, ransomware has operated at a double extortion model, meaning that cyber criminals are both encrypting data on sort of victim networks, but they're also stealing and exfiltrating the data in order to blackmail with them with it by, by basically saying that we'll put your data on our leak sites and sort of show it to the world uh, unless you pay up, which is, is unfortunately proven very effective. Um, but that has changed a little bit in recent years. I mean, the double extortion still the method of choice, but there are uh, developing extortion models that are entering the scene as well. One is the triple extortion method in which you're encrypting the data, you're stealing the data, and threatening uh, victim organizations with it, but you're also launching DDoS attacks. And then there's also what's called uh, extortionware, and at uh, in which case you're not even encrypting the victim files, you're just straight up exfiltrating the data, sometimes without even using malware, and just using the threat of leaking data alone as the method of extortion, sort of skipping ransomware altogether. Okay, you also reported this week a slight decline in ransomware. And, the, and also that you reported that ransomware is becoming more effective. So why has it declined and uh, how is it improving? So there have been a number of vendor reports in uh, the last few months, sort of their 2022 research roundup reports that are showing slightly declining numbers in various aspects of ransomware. Uh, IBM had stats in their latest uh, X-Force Threat Intelligence Index report suggesting defenders are getting better at stopping attacks. Mandiant saw a 15% decrease in the number of ransomware intrusions it responded to last year, and both CrowdStrike and Coveware noted a drop in the average ransomware demand payment in 2022 over 2021. Now, that's not to say that ransomware is getting significantly better, uh, it's still an enormous problem, especially in industrial settings, where I think uh, some data suggests it might actually be getting worse there. And because of avenues like ransomware as a service, um, it is easier than ever for, let's say, novice threat actors to conduct ransomware attacks. But these numbers are important 
because it is the first time I've seen in my, you know, three, four years on this specific beat where multiple vendor data points are moving in lockstep in the right direction, you know, away from uh, ransomware getting worse, um, which is small, but still, I think, a big deal. Whether those numbers will hold or not or get even better, uh, we'll see. And uh, how are uh, cybersecurity pros you know, battling these threats? Uh, has there been any improvements on their side? Mm-hmm. There have been. I, I would say one of the most encouraging things uh, about ransomware, which is not one of those things where you can uh, say too many encouraging things, is that defenders are getting better. Now, that sometimes happens because board members are taking notice of ransomware and security in general. It could be because, unfortunately, uh, organizations suffer a cyber attack and they have to learn from it. Cyber insurance is getting stricter requirements. And then the other side of it is that the government has been getting more aggressive and I would say becoming more helpful in the response to cybersecurity overall in the last few years. CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, they've been an enormous force for sort of sharing information to defenders. Um, law enforcement has shown signs of acting aggressively against ransomware. See the Hive bust in January. And uh, the Biden administration, actually, as we're recording this today on Thursday, they just released their national cybersecurity strategy, which will also hopefully provide uh, good momentum against cybercrime. But, you know, threat actors, they're also always adapting. They're using diverse extortion models, like we said. So it'll be interesting to see how the push and pull, uh, if, as it were, between defenders and adversaries changes over the future. U.S. lawmakers are struggling to write regulations that combat misinformation and other problems on today's social networks. But whatever they come up with, it might not be enough to control decentralized social networks like Mastodon. To help us understand the dilemma lawmakers face is Tech Target Editorial's government reporter, Mackenzie Holland. All right, so help our, our viewers understand what decentralized what a decentralized social network is and uh, how does it differ from like a Facebook and Twitter? Um, so we have reached this place where when you log on to the internet, you're likely going to be interacting with, uh, if you're going to go to Google search or you're going to log into Meta's Facebook, Instagram, you're interacting with what we call tech giants, um, kind of these platforms that have really come to dominate um, the internet as we know it today. And they're kind of viewed as in this uh, topic of, you know, decentralized versus centralized internet, they're kind of viewed as these centralized entities that we all uh, deal with when we log onto the internet today. Um, and those organizations, you know, they're very established. Um, they have a governance structure, you know, a, hier a hierarchy where someone is responsible, you know, for uh, this operation or this part of the business. There's an established uh, government structure for these businesses. So a decentralized social network like Mastodon, which uh, it looks like Twitter uh, when you open it, um, and it rose to prominence as an alternative to Twitter when Elon Musk bought the company last year. Um, the difference with a company like Mastodon, um, which, you know, identifies as a nonprofit organization and a decentralized platform is that there's no single authority over it. So if the business does well, you know, shareholders aren't benefiting, um, it's a user and volunteer run network. 
know, when you create an account, it's similar to signing up with um, an email. Uh, you pick Gmail, Hotmail, Yahoo, uh, and you pick a topic that you identify with. And then while you're able to communicate with others in that email chain, um, there's not like a single one that runs the program. And so the kind of idea behind a decentralized uh, social network like Mastodon, or you see examples of decentralized platforms um, like cryptocurrencies, these digital currencies that are rising as alternatives to traditional you know, banking and money in the real world. Um, the goal of these decentralized platforms and networks is to move power away um, from traditional banking entities, from tech giants, these established entities. Um, that's kind of the idea you know, behind these decentralized networks. So are they, uh, are they people who organize these networks, are they purposely trying to avoid regulation? In other words, if they, they can spread, they can spread misinformation or anything else and there's no way to regulate because there's no central, uh, like you said, central authority for regulators to go after? Sure. I don't think that that's the goal because there are, you know, rules of the road for, you know, hate speech and like even a platform like Mastodon, if you log on and, and look at it, there are rules like, okay, you know, this kind of speech will not be tolerated like in that particular group. So when you sign up with an account like Mastodon, uh, you align with a certain topic and essentially it's users and volunteers that'll report if there's hate speech or misinformation on the platform and then, that gets taken down within that individual group that's run by these users and volunteers. So I don't think the goal is to run away from regulation. Uh, the goal is to offer an alternative to um, these established entities because you know typically when people will go online and it's like I want to join social media, you have you know two big options. It's you know Meta, uh, it's Twitter, um, and so the these kind of platforms where there's not you know, like kind of like I mentioned, is like the goal is to move power out of the hands of these, you know, established companies and try to, you know, kind of compete uh, in this, you know, different environment in a different structure. So I wouldn't say that the goal is to move away from regulation. It's just mm -hmm. to offer an alternative. Uh, that's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. And I look forward to bringing you the latest news in tech next week. And take care.